beginning at verse 1 through to verse 9. The branch from Jesse. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his, his, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash round his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the, young child put it, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Second reading is from Luke chapter 1, verse 57 to 80. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbours were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. 
And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in a desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Lord, would you come amongst us by your spirit this morning. Rest upon us with that spirit of understanding and insight and of power and of the fear of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder what comes to our minds when we think of the nativity Many of us have some kind of nativity scene in our homes, which may include the baby Jesus, Mary, Joseph, shepherds, and other characters. Most of them, I suspect, look a bit like a stable with the baby Jesus laid in a manger. But I'd be surprised if this scene came to our minds. It's going to come, don't worry. This is the nativity in the Lutheran Christmas Church of Bethlehem in the West Bank for 2023. And I think you'd agree it's a very different kind of nativity, a baby lying in rubble. Mary, Joseph and the shepherds are searching for Jesus in the rubble. And so this is a nativity with an edge to it, a sign of hope to a weary people longing for justice and peace. In the light of that, I want to reflect on those words we just heard read from Isaiah. Isaiah speaks of hope in what were for him dark times. Back in ancient Israel, hope was on a bit of a roller coaster. The health of the nation, depending to a large extent on what the king was like. Some kings were good. Some, however, like Ahaz, the king in Isaiah's time, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And there were dark clouds looming over the the nation. Israel was harassed by Edomites, by Philistines, by Syrians, among others. And in Isaiah's time, Jerusalem itself has been under siege. And the northern kingdom, the northern part of Israel, has been conquered and its people taken off into exile. And then finally, about a century or so later, Jerusalem is once again attacked And in 587 BC, it's destroyed. And the people of the southern kingdom carried off in exile to Babylon. So if hope had been a roller coaster, it's now flatlined. No wonder the writer of Psalm 137 lamented, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Indeed. In Isaiah chapter 11, the prophet paints pictures of hope with divinely inspired images. Firstly, there is the image of the stump. 
A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. What looks like a lifeless old tree stump will produce life. But what is the stump of Jesse here? Well, Jesse was the father of King David, and the line of David was supposed to last forever and become a great tree with many branches standing tall and strong, but that didn't happen. And that's possibly why Isaiah doesn't mention David here, for the line of David in his time is failing, and later on it will come to an end with the destruction of Jerusalem. And so what looks like it's going to go on forever lies dead and broken. But Isaiah imagines something different, an alternative, God's alternative. The stump, as in this slide you see here, will come back to life not right then for the people he was speaking to, but it would come. And perhaps for us, there's something like that stump in our lives. It might be divorce, a marriage we assumed would last forever has gone, and all that's left seems lifeless. Or it may be a business venture that seemed so full of life and promise, but now it's failed, and all that's left of a once great tree is a little old stump. For others, a loved one who we assumed would always be with us has died, and a huge part of our life has been cut off, and it feels like there's nothing left. Isaiah offers this hope, something will come. Wait, Isaiah counsels, and there will be new growth. God will do a new thing, but it might be hard to see at first. You may see it through tears or through blinding pain, but it will come, a new green shoot of resurrection life. This isn't the kind of hope that promises, 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 but then doesn't deliver. For Isaiah, this is true hope, grounded in the heart of God himself. A shoot will come. The original tree may never regrow. Indeed, normal life may not be resumed. That old stump may always be there, but it can become the site of new growth, says the God who calls things that are dead as though they were alive, who brings new life out of those ruins, who brings a new normal, which may look nothing like the old, but it's got life in it, and that's what matters. That new shoot may be small, hidden, and weak, but it has the life of God in it, Indeed, Christmas is that time when we remember how the almighty God emptied himself and became a vulnerable little baby, totally dependent on others for its very life. Small, a baby, <laughs> hidden in an obscure corner of the Roman Empire, weak, well, what is weaker than a newborn babe. And we want hope to be big, impressive, irrefutable, but I... I don't think Isaiah's image is like that. Hope comes as something little, weak, barely visible, and yet like the mustard seed, it has the very life of God in it, and it will grow. So if you think that stump is you, something has died or failed or just faded out, hear Isaiah's hope-filled words, a shoot will come. We may be tempted to sit down on that old stump with our head in our hands and cry, or turn it into a shrine, but Isaiah would bid us get up, pray over the stump, not pretending it's not there, but looking for signs of new life. You may need to wait, but at least it's waiting in hope. 
Well, the shoot now morphs into a person. The description here is of someone on whom the sevenfold spirit of God will rest, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. A little like this menorah on the screen here where one trunk gives rise to seven branches. So the spirit of the Lord, which is the main branch, has these six aspects. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. The current king of Isaiah's time, Ahaz, did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord as David, his ancestor, did. And so this image of Isaiah's could be a description of the next king, not the present one, of course, but the next king, Hezekiah, who is reckoned to be one of the better kings. But most see in this a picture of the coming Messiah king. And for us, that's Jesus. And who could deny that those six words describe him? The one on whom the Spirit of the Lord came down at his baptism, and then the one on whom the Spirit comes to anoint him to bring good news to the poor. This is a new kind of king who is wise, insightful. Did you notice that Isaiah describes this king as one who will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears? This is a king who can see below the surface of things and make good judgments, especially as Isaiah, go, especially as Isaiah goes on to say for the poor, with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will give decisions for the poor. This is a judge who's coming to bring justice for those whom this world so often brings just the opposite. Indeed, Isaiah berates the ancient Israelites for doing just that when he says, woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left. It's a picture of the rich exploiting the poor. It's grabbing land to build their own massive houses. That's not going to happen when this king rules. But justice for the poor isn't the only thing this king will bring. He will bring true peace, shalom. If we thought that the first two images of new growth from dead stumps and wise and insightful leaders were verging on the impossible, then Isaiah bids us contemplate a third impossible thing. Like the other two images, in the words of Walter Brueggemann, it refuses the facts on the ground and invites us to watch for newness outside of our own logic. And so here we have the wolf and the lamb lying down together. Now we may be cynical enough to wonder if that lamb's going to get much sleep tonight. But this isn't a picture which leaves the lamb forever looking over its shoulder, wondering when the wolf's true nature is going to finally resurface. It's a total transformation of creation but I'm not sure it's meant to make us think of a far-flung future where all the fences are taken down in the zoo and like those YouTube videos of cats and dogs, the lion snuggles up to the goat and a little child plays in the reptile house. Something else I think is closer to what Isaiah has in mind. He's already complained that in the nation of Israel itself, the rich exploit the poor. There is violence and bloodshed as the powerful trample the weak. And so this image of a radically altered creation is saying that this kind of behavior will one day come to an end, that people will live without fear of threat or harm. And in the kingdom of God, we should already begin to see something of this transformation. In other words, here right now in Emmanuel and in the wider church, 
not perfectly, for we're still broken, but surely this kind of subtle and not-so-subtle exploitation and manipulation should not happen. Indeed, St. Paul picks this up in Galatians where he warns them, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. It's not going to happen when the kingdom of God is fully come, and so it should be happening less and less now. As we pray, as we've done, your kingdom come. And so three wonderful pictures, very different, but each adding, I think, to this tapestry of hope that Isaiah is weaving before us how we need this hope today. Let's go back to the image of the nativity from the start. The peoples of the Middle East and Israel and Palestine have been on a roller coaster of hope the last 75 years and more. And for many, hope has all but gone. And what's left is weeping and a crying out for God. Where is God? The pastor of this Bethlehem church, Munta Isaac, has said in a recent sermon that God is under the rubble in Gaza. He is with the frightened, those fleeing in terror, in the operating theatres that have no power and no anaesthetic. This Advent, might we spare some thoughts and prayers for those of our brothers and sisters in Palestine and Israel as they pray for peace for themselves, for the peace of Jerusalem, and for their neighbours. Let's remember them as we celebrate Christmas, a Christmas that the Palestinian churches have cancelled as an expression of unity with Gaza. And there are Israelis and Palestinians who want peace and are working for it across the divide, taking time to get to know each other and being willing to put aside their assumptions about what the enemy is like. But a desire for peace is not enough. There must be leadership that serves the interests of the people, a wise and tough leadership that can make a better future and knows the art of compromise and that knows something of the anointing of that sevenfold spirit of God, of wisdom and insight that Isaiah spoke about. To have to stop your car and dive for shelter as Hamas rockets appear in the sky above, and to wake to the sounds of gunfire and screaming in one of those kibbutzim attacked on October the 7th, to fear every encounter with an Israeli soldier, to skip a heartbeat as a warplane screams overhead. This is no way to live. The real problem isn't the tunnels under Gaza or the truckloads of weapons pouring into Israel, but those chambers inside the hearts of men and women filled with hurt and hate. Tunnels can be flooded. Supplies of weapons, they can dry up. But that which is deep down inside men and women, yeah, that's a little more difficult. We need something that can reach into those depths and root out hatred and prejudice or our hope will prove futile and we'll be back on that roller coaster. We need that Messiah King Jesus, the one who filled with the sevenfold spirit of God can bring true justice and peace. The prejudice arise. You only have to look at them. Did you hear what they said? And it's all over social media in minutes. And before long, like a hall of mirrors, what people see and say is distorted and misunderstood. 
Our Messiah, King Jesus, brings a kingdom which goes below the surface, gets under our skin and melts our all too often hard hearts. No, hope must be built on the hard work of truth and reconciliation for both sides. Not just words, but a change of heart. And this is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. A gospel which doesn't just leap over but destroys walls of division with indestructible love and who through his cross brings to an end that way of life based on hatred and fear and prejudice and drives it out with his perfect love. That is true hope. Hope that won't disappoint us because as the Apostle Paul says, God's love has been poured into our hearts. And so what can we do this Advent? First, we could remember that Advent is waiting in hope. And these pictures we have from Isaiah can fuel our imaginations to believe that things can be different as we wait in hope. The picture of new life from the dead stump. The king who will bring justice and peace and a kingdom where no one fears harm from their neighbor. And then we can try at least to tame our cynicism, for cynicism is the true enemy of hope and not despair. And it takes no effort and it costs nothing. I realize I can be pretty cynical, I know that, and some of you are probably nodding at this point, very encouraging. But it's a long, slow process, having this cold, cynical heart warmed by the fiery love of God. It takes time for the gospel to get from here to here, which is called the longest journey. But like any journey, we can take a first step today, a step out of the darkness of cynicism and into the light of God's love. And then take hold of true hope in Jesus Christ, hope not as an idea, but as an anchor, someone to hold on to when all the lights and all the hope go out. Hope that holds us while we wait for new life to come. Hope that comes as a vulnerable baby born into an occupied land and through that vulnerability can bring life to us in our wounds and in our struggles, in our own vulnerability. Finally, let's take some time to pray and remember our Christian brothers and sisters in Israel, the West Bank and Gaza, both Israeli and Palestinian. This Advent, let's pray in hope for an end to the disastrous conflict in Gaza and for the gospel of peace to take root in the hearts of those on both sides. And pray for pastors like Monta, whose hope for justice and peace has been so long delayed. How long, O oh Lord, how long, goes the ancient cry. We pray, Lord, bring justice and peace to this people. There's a wonderful carol, O Holy Night. It is, I believe, the first ever song broadcast over the radio way back in 1906. It has the line, a thrill of hope, our weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And today, if you are weary and the thrill of hope is something you've not experienced in a long time, then please don't leave without at least talking to someone. No one here has it all sorted or lives on a massive wave of hope floating above all the nasty realities of life. No one. Come, let someone pray for you. On the side over there, there is an opportunity to let some hope in through the cracks and before the tide of Christmas washes the moment away.
Please stand if you can. Let's take a moment to let those words of Isaiah sink into our hearts. Perhaps five minutes in the next week as we reread them, shaking our heads at just how impossible they seem, then laughing as God's hope begins to take hold in us. Lord, make them real for us today. Final prayer. May God bless us with holy anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people, so that we may work for justice, freedom, and peace among all people. May God bless us with the gift of tears to shed with those who suffer pain, rejection, or loss, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and transform their pain into joy. May God bless us with enough foolishness to believe that we can really make a difference in this world so that we are able with God's grace to do what others claim cannot be done. Holy Spirit, help us to see the new shoots of life in those dead and dormant places in our lives that we may know that thrill of hope and the light of a new and glorious dawn. Amen. Please be seated.